Let's get into 1 Timothy chapter 3 tonight. It's good to see everybody out on a Wednesday. We are live. We welcome all you that are watching us live, wherever you're watching us from, the United States or anywhere around the world. Uh, we welcome you and those of you who will get this podcast sometime this week. We're thankful for your uh, participation and your prayers. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we have together. We thank you for your word. We love your word here, Lord. It is, you've magnified your word above your name. And we just pray, God, that the Holy Spirit will just consume us and train us and mold us and make us and help us to be more like you when we leave here, God. Help us to lay our sins aside, Lord. Help us to look to you and be willing to be obedient. May the Holy Spirit guide us and teach us and show us things to come. We thank you for your conviction and all the things that work in our lives so that we can obey the Father. And we just give you praise for all that in Jesus' name. And everybody said? All right, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to talk about leadership and all this. A lot of this we've been talking about is authority from last week into this week. Uh, so let's look at chapter 3, verse 1. This is a faithful saying. Uh, It's a faithful saying, if a man desires a position of a bishop, uh, he desires a good work. Uh, episkopos is the Greek word for that. It's an overseer. It's an office, an office in any group, the generic term of that. But before Christianity, and I like this word, pre-Christianity, this word <clears throat> was used closest, closest related to porter. Now, we all can get a kind of sink our teeth into that because porter is a watchman right uh now here's here's where the responsibility comes in whether you're a father a leader in the church on the job whatever god's called you to do the reason i like this understanding of this word episcopos is because a porter is not just somebody who oversees you know a lot of people uh they like to oversee things because they like to call the shots and like to have the last say in everything. But if you understand this word porter along with episcopos, watchman, here's the thing that really stands out. Responsibility. Be not many masters, knowing you will receive the greater judgment. So the more responsibility you have, or excuse the more authority you have, the more responsibility you have to God and so this word episkopos is somebody who is in an office of overseeing but overseeing don't mean you get to call the shots actually true leadership in the church should be hearing from God and just following that out there shouldn't be no calling shots really we should be hearing from God and, 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 and implementing that and, call, and, and doing that it's like I've said many times you've heard me say God doesn't need your ideas he don't, and I'm not saying it arrogantly he don't need mine either you don't need any of our ideas. God's not looking down here and, and thinking and, and amazed at what we've come up with, right? I mean, we're not coming up with something where the Father's looking at the Son saying, wow, that is awesome. And then looking at Jesus saying, look what Matt Robbins come up with. Why didn't we think of that in the last 6,000 years? When we knew the end from the beginning, why didn't we? So God's not really, and I think, we need to get off that stuff and be content with just following his word and being obedient that's that's where we'll be the most content and so 
when you look at that, there is more responsibility. Now, if you get into, and we're not going to get into this tonight, but we will sometime, we do. And we, uh, when you get into what we call predestined, predestination well, maybe I'll spell that right it's harder to spell English anymore so and I use this when we went through Ephesians Ephesians is about you you and I are predestined the catch is in Christ apart from Christ we don't have any destiny so predestination is a the root of destiny so you you have you are predestined to eternal life in Christ not apart from him not on your own. That's what the Pharisees tried. So, but when God gave, when God predestined Abraham, if you want to say it that way, he gave him divine responsibility. Predestination is not just about divine privilege. It's about divine responsibility. That's what authority is. Authority, if you and I have any authority, guess what? It was given to us by God. So there's the responsibility. I mean, you're talking about the father of faith. The guy, it's always been by faith, right? God's always asked for us to follow him by faith. The law came after faith. Faith was before the law. And then the law came to prove to us our need for a Savior and our inability to get to God on our own strength. But faith kicked right back in. Faith, law, faith. God always wanted us to live by faith. But he, we're stubborn. We're made of flesh. And so we, we like to call our own shots right we like to do our own thing and you're going to see one of these words here in just a moment uh talks about that and he says he a bishop must then be blameless the husband of one wife temperate sober-minded of good behavior hospitable able to teach not given to wine not violent not greedy for money but gentle not quarrelsome not covetous one who rules his own house well having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall in the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into the reproach and snare of the devil. So we'll come back to those qualifications in just a minute, but let me bring up the next group of authority. It says, likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, but let these also first be tested, then let, let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Jesus Christ. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we read that about Stephen. Stephen was a deacon. Now, uh, there's a couple of things about deacons. Diakonos uh, is the Greek word for deacon. Episkopos is the one for bishop. And diakonos is a servant, one who attends to the need. Uh, it's, and it comes from the word diako, which was attributed to like a runner, somebody who would... Uh, uh, attend to something, right? Get out and hasten to run and, and, and get, get somewhere. That's kind of the idea behind a deacon. A deacon is somebody who is, has a relationship to the task. Now, there's another word that we see as a servant. It's called doulos. Paul uses the word doulos a lot when he talks about being a bond servant. A bond servant is a doulos servant or somebody who has 
uh, a relationship to the master. That's the most predominant thing, right? So we're talking about somebody who's submissive to the master. So you had Mary and Martha basically illustrating diakonos, <clears throat> the terminology of it, and doulos. Mary's at Jesus' feet. Martha's up attending to things. Now, I'm not bringing it up to get into the teaching of all that. I'm bringing it up to show you the idea of the word, right? So Martha is attending to things that are necessary, but <clears throat> Jesus reproves her. We won't say rebukes, but reproves her and says, when I'm here, I'm more necessary than those things, whatever those things were. So, but it wasn't that those things didn't need to be attended to at the right time. But that's how you can understand the difference between a doulos and diakonos in a servant understanding. The, the, uh, when you're functioning in that diakonos, you're functioning as a servant, somebody who is uh, given to the task at the moment. Doesn't mean they don't love God. Doesn't mean they're not saved or anything. But they're focusing on the task. So, so you cannot walk through this life and just float around in the clouds with a harp and a diaper on. which is a horrible illustration of angels. And I don't know who, so whoever come up with that must have been on Satan's side. But, uh, so you cannot get through life without doing physical things. There are things that are necessary to do physically for others, for yourself, for your family, for the widows, for the orphans. And those are two things that we're commanded to be involved in, Right? I know we all have things that we want to do for the Lord, but we need to start with the things we're commanded to do. And that's why we place an emphasis on that here in this church with our widows. And of course, a widow, and, and if we're going to be biblical, a widow is supposed to be attended to by our family first. And then if the family can't do that or she doesn't have any family, then the church family kicks in. The problem with... <clears throat> see if I can say this the way I need to say it. The problem is a lot of the generations of the children and grandchildren are wayward now. They don't give a hoot about grandma. In fact, grandma, I'm going to say this, and I'm, I'm going to say it in love. In fact, grandma's raising a lot of them's children for them. And she's wore out because she's on her third set of children. And grandma's actually taking care of them <laughs> when she should be getting take, taken care of. So it's a, it's a different culture. <clears throat> One of the... A lawyer friend of mine, he said, unless you're just super rich, he said, you really need to die broke. He said, you need to give everything away while you're alive. So he said, so people like me don't get half of it. And, and, and he was talking about, he said, but the problem is we don't have the same kind of children we had in generations past. You can't give your child, a lot of people can't give their child $40,000 and say, I'll call you if I need any of it, but you go ahead and take it and put it in your account because they'll call uh, six months later and it'll be gone because we got a whole different generation but ideally scripturally the family the children should take care of a widow first and then all that so he, these guys are given to the task doesn't mean they don't, they're not saved and spiritual we certainly saw a couple weeks ago how spiritual Stephen really was his spirituality basically cost him his life he was out being a deacon waiting on ta to tables and needs because they set these guys forth so they could give themselves continually to prayer and study of the word the apostles did and here comes these guys who are spiritual guys the bible says stephen was full of the holy spirit so he wasn't just your average guy out there trying to help somebody get their driveway cleaned off he was ready to preach the word of god he was apt to teach and do all that but 
they are they focus somebody has to focus on we can't all do the same thing right I mean and that if we did there would be a lot of needs that would go unmet he said let the deacons be the husband one wife run for those who have served well as the deacon obtained so I'm going to stop there and look at uh, these conditions for a bishop. They, they're very similar with a few exceptions. It says, uh, blameless husband of one wife, temperate, which would be spirit control. We may call that self-control, but we really need to be controlled by the spirit. Sober-minded of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine. You don't really need to be in any position, not just in church, but anywhere if you don't like people. And you know, there's people who don't like people, or at least they say they don't like people. They say they don't like to be around them or whatever, you know. Uh, and uh, do you all know anybody like that says that? Um, and I, we all probably know somebody like that. Jesus was so into the people that he would skip sleeping if he got pushed around too much that day and then pray all night and get up and go at it again because he loved people. And he proved his love, right? And so <clears throat> you got to love people. You're going to be hospitable, sober-minded, a good behavior, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who, also this is self-explanatory, one who rules his own house well. Um, now, the couple of things here, blameless is somebody who is... Uh, above is irreproachable as a Christian and that's important to make that note on there because they're blameless before God is the emphasis on this word in the Greek angelikolos alatos I, I probably butchered that but anyway you this word is somebody who's blameless before God now here's the th here's the catch I'm going to share a few things with you and you can throw them in the trash. But I've done a lot of study on some of this stuff. And you, if you don't like them, you can toss them in the trash. And we'll have coffee tomorrow. And then you can tell me why you didn't like it. Because none of us are blameless apart from God. So if you want to... Let me tell you. You want to know the biggest spirit of Antichrist in the world today? When I say that, your mind's going to go a hundred different directions. You're going to think about who might actually be the Antichrist, all the evil that's going on. We certainly saw that again yesterday. That's evil. Don't, don't tell me these people are crazy. They plan. They know where they're going. They know what... That's evil. That's demonic. Don't let the world write that off as crazy. That's not crazy. That's the devil. That's demonic. And so you cannot... If we went back in everybody's past, none of it would be, would be blameless. That is one of the greatest spirits of the Antichrist in our world today. And here it is. You ready for this? That they don't want anybody to be forgiven. Whew, did anybody feel that besides me? That's Antichrist because Christ hung on a tree so all of us could be forgiven. But the world is following the spirit of Antichrist. They don't want to forgive anybody. They want to hold your sins against you even if you repented 45 years ago. That's the world. That's the spirit of Antichrist. You want to know what he loves? He loves unforgiveness. He loves it. 
He's, not, he's done past that for himself. He's not going to get it. Satan's not. He's done lost his chance. So he don't want any of us to get forgiveness as well. That's the spirit of Antichrist. So for somebody to be blameless doesn't mean you have, a, you have never done anything wrong. And I'm going to say this. In all of my study, especially from the Hebrew side, we are not allowed to disqualify people on their past if they've been forgiven. So, when it says the husband of one wife, I believe the Scripture is teaching a polygamy there. Because the Holy Spirit used divorce many times in the New Testament. If he intended to use it here, he would have. Jews were polygamists. The early church, and I don't fully understand all that. I get it. In past times, God winked at ignorance. Acts 17 says, but now... He all commands all men to repent, right? So when you had the early church, guess what it was all made up of? It wasn't us Gentiles. The early church was all Jews. The Gentiles started coming in later after Paul. Most of the Jews were polygamous. So if you've got more than one wife, now he didn't say don't let him be the one who's not divorced. He said let him be the husband of one wife. Now I'm not condoning divorce either. I've been, and I'm not here to condemn anybody that's been through that. But when you see the ministry of Jesus, he didn't condemn anybody that was willing to repent, right? And so this, this divorce has been, Jesus used divorce, and he was very straightforward about it. In fact, he's not, he wasn't near as loose about it as the church is today. He was very straightforward about it. But he's a forgiven God. Moses could have never been a leader if you'd have went to his past. He was a murderer. Tried to cover up the murder. Am I talking to anybody? So I believe because Jewish, if you've got four wives and 36 children, you ain't got time to be a leader in the church. You're going to work at Domino's when you get off at the factory. You're going to raise the biggest garden in the community and hope that all four of your wives love you. Now, that's weird. I, I'm, I, I'm, I mean, that's weird to us. I understand that. But if you, if you have more than one wife, which many Jews did, they, they didn't have time. You, you think about that. You think about that kind of culture. But I'm not here to argue that. I'm just here to say that theologically, if God doesn't hold th our past against us, if we repented, he cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. And... And God has raised up people, and people do different than I do. I understand that. There are preachers that handle things different than I do. We all have different personalities. We all help make up the hedge, the body of Christ, if we're doing our jobs. But there are people that God has used immensely that had horrible past. King David was one of them. King David, is, uh, Peter, Paul. Paul was having Christians put to death. All in the name of the Lord, right? He was giving God a bad name. So... I don't disqualifying people is hard to do when you look at the life that Jesus offered all of us. He's he is a recovering God. He really wants to recover people. So, and if you want to disagree, that's that's fine. But I, I see that I don't think the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit is the smartest being in the room, and I think He says what He means and means what He says. And so I think the Holy Spirit could have used different language there like he did in other places had he had chosen to. Then he says, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued. That's interesting that he's challenging the deacons with that. 
not given to much wine. Uh, not, he told the, uh, the bishops or the, not to be given to any wine. He told the, uh, the deacons not to be given to much wine. Holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience, but let uh, those, these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Similar, the same language we saw there. Then he touches their wives. He says, likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. You know. And I, I know a lot of guys' ministries that can't get off the ground because of their wives. I'm not trying to pick on women. A lot of guys' ministries don't get off the ground because of themselves. But sometimes it's their wives, you know. And, and so you need to be one, you need to be in agreement, you need to be tactful. And, in fact, we need to just speak. If we're going to speak, try to keep it on the oracles of God. He says, faithful in all things. Faithful in all things. That knocks a lot of people out. And here's the zeal that comes up in people that want to do things for God. They are faithful in a few things and they're ready to take off. But the Bible says they need to be faithful in all things. All things. Not just the ones you and I get to pick and choose, right? We need to be faithful in all things, which would include a whole, a whole lot of things. And then he says, uh, let, uh, let them rule their children in their house as well. Same the word rule is uh, prostemi. It means to stand before, to lead, to attend to with care and diligence. And, uh, you know, you've heard that old stigma about preacher's kids, right? <clears throat> and the preachers now have come up with a response to that. The preacher's children are that way because they pray with the deacon's children. So we, everybody wants to pass the buck, right? <clears throat> but a lot of times the, the preacher's children wind up wayward because their fathers don't give them any time they give time to everybody but their own family I'll never forget what I heard James Dobson say James Dobson who's focused on the family I think he's retired and he comes on and off there from time to time uh, he said when, his, when they had their children his father was pastoring a super large church and he said when he got all of his children born he took a smaller church so he could spend more time with his family. That's admirable, isn't it? And now his son has impacted every continent in the world. See, we think the big stuff is what people see us do in our moment. It may have been his biggest moment was training his son. Did y'all hear this story? And this was handed down like the church secretary one night said, not much happened tonight. Just two young boys got saved. And one of those was Billy Graham. They kept records of the church. It was like a Wednesday night or something. And they patented this story down. They said, not, not too much went on tonight. Two young men got, came and gave their hearts to Jesus. <laughs> wow. You never know what you're doing. But I, I had a lady in the church for years who loved the nursery. Now that's, that's crazy, ain't it? But I can't tell you the little children she ministered to that brought their mommies and daddies to church. When you know you're where you're supposed to be, the devil can huff and puff, and he still can't blow your house down. You, amen. Do you know 
you're my greatest, one of my greatest strengths is I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. If you know you're where you're supposed to be, it, the storms can come and go, but they can't blow your butt. If you don't know you're where you're supposed to be, every storm coming by will blow you around. It's knowing the assurity that you're where God's planted you. You know He's working in your life at this place, your job, your, your community, your moment, right? And those seasons can change, I understand that. But knowing that you're where you're supposed to be will help you weather so many storms because your feet's planted like that tree that the psalmist talked about. Then he says they're going to obtain themselves a good standing, great boldness. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Now, that's what we talked about the whole time. He's trying to get... Paul had a lot of trouble with the church, the Corinthian church, all that, right? He had to set a lot of things in order, and he's still working on that here. He says, which the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. I am a delayed, I write to you, so you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in church. Uh, you may have to say stuff in love. I mean, you may have to say stuff that's strong, but try to do it in love. And, and, and you're, then you're not responsible for the results. If you hand a family member or whoever some truth off, try to give it to them in a way they can hear it and receive it, and then you're not responsible to make them do it. That's not our job. You can't change anybody but yourself. And the only way you can do that, and I can do that, is cooperating with God. I can't even change my wife. And she can't change me. She's been trying for years. <laughs> We've rubbed off. God put us together for a reason. And I can see that now. I mean, usually they say opposites attract, right? That's really, that's the shallow way of saying it. Opposites attract because God's putting two people together who have strengths that each other need. And so if you saw me and my wife now, you might say, gosh, you guys like all the same things. You, you all just alike. Oh, he wasn't in them again. She had a lot of stuff she needed to come on up with. <laughs> She's listening in the nursery. She's over in the nursery. Love you, honey. <laughs> uh, but over time, I'll give you an example. When we first got married, my wife didn't think bad about anything or anybody. If somebody done something wrong, her response was, well, they didn't mean to. I was just opposite. I thought everybody was up to something. I mean, I was just the opposite. So over time, we've balanced each other out with that. I realize everybody's not up to some. Some people do stuff they don't mean. And she realizes that some people are actually evil. They have evil intentions, right? So there's a balance to that. And I, I can tell you, and, all, and all of you, some of you are in, uh, thinking about it because you're, you're the same way, right? You've been married long enough now, and you're thinking... I went over his direction, he's come over my direction, and we're now a lot alike. And that's what God does. He feels that lack we have. It's, it's a lot deeper than opposites attracting. It's, and if you think you're alike, it's because you've not... If you think you're just alike before you got married, it's because you've not really had an honest conversation <laughs> with each other. Because <laughs> uh, we all got... We both got raised in different households, right? And some of us may be more like than we are, but if you can just see the beauty in that, how God 
you're drawn to some deficiencies you have and you may not even realize it. That's the way the Holy Spirit, and we probably didn't realize it because may, hopefully we're more spiritual now than we were 25 or 35 years ago. But you don't, you don't see that initially, but the Holy Spirit's always at work. Thank goodness for that. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed in the world, received, up, received Him up in glory. That's the mystery of godliness, that God came down in the flesh. He was justified by the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit in His life, seen by the angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. I mean, He condensed His mission really quick there. And then He says, Now the, the, now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. Now, boy, is that going on? And girls, I said, now, boy, now, boys and girls, is that going on? He says, they will be uh, departing from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Ephistomize, the Greek word for depart. Now, I'm going to explain this to you. And this may make you have to rethink men's doctrines but let's just read the bible for how it says it this greek word depart means to withdraw or to be absent to absent oneself you're no longer present to withdraw or absent oneself from or revolt by being misled leading toward an apostate state that's what this word means now, I'm going to bring up another word. <clears throat> Let's hold your spot there and go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. You'd be, a, you'd be surprised how many words there are for depart in the Greek language. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 10. In verse 10, uh, he says something here about Demas. He says in, in verse 9, let's back up to verse 9. Be diligent, come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me. The word forsaken is the same family as depart. Having loved this present world, has departed for Thessalonica. So now he gives us some instruction here. He says, Demas departed because he loved the world. Now we've seen that, right? You've seen people in fact, I, I deal with it every week. Somebody coming in saying, you know, they used to go to church. They used to walk with God. They used to. And so these are people who go their own way. That's what this Greek word for depart means. They're in the same family. Porumei is the Greek word here, and it means somebody who goes their own way, who departs from a place. Now, the Greek word I gave you in 1 Timothy chapter 4, if we can go back over there, is somebody who's actually being misled in a religious sense. They're giving up on Christianity and converting to Islam. In fact, that's, that's just one example. That's not what everybody's doing. But in fact, uh, one, of the lady, one of the families that was here in the last year from Nigeria, uh, one of the reasons they cannot return is because Boko Haram is in their community. And there's some, uh, some of the Christians from that community here in the States. 
some of you remember them, they were here in church. Her father left Christianity and joined Boko Haram and Islam. And now he persecutes Christians and has them, I guess, killed along with the group and divorced her mother because she's an infidel. She's a Christian. The mother, the mother of the daughter who was in, in our church last year, the mother is still a believer. The father left the family, forsook the family, and divorced her because now he belongs to Boko Haram. So there's two different things going on here, and the reason I brought that up. Both of them are departing. One's departing because he fell in love with the world, or back in love with the world, we should say. The, the other one departed because they were being misled in a religious sense, departing from the faith in a way. You can run into a lot of people who've walked out of the church whenever in life, and they'll still say things like, yeah, I know that's where I should be, and I know what's at stake, but I like my life. I like living the way I live. I want to do things my way. And that's what happened with 2 Timothy chapter 4, Demas. He, he just wanted to run with the world. That's what happened with the prodigal, right? The prodigal left, took off, left his father. And uh, there's some interesting things going on there. If we talk about what happened in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal takes off. And his dad lets him go. And his dad's not standing there saying, You ain't getting nothing, boy. You walking out on me, you're going to walk out without anything. He didn't do that, did he? Is that what you would have done? Maybe. His dad gave him all his stuff. Now, his dad's probably a wise, and we understand this from God's perspective. But he's gone with all of his stuff, and he loses it all. But his dad could have said, you get back in your room, I ain't giving you nothing. I ain't even calling a cab for you. You're stuck here, or you walking out on your own. He didn't do that. Because the father knew there was something in there that had to come out. And evidently, it wasn't coming out at the house. Now, don't we wish our children could learn from all of our mistakes and all the mistakes that they saw other people do, right? This is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. And Solomon said, I went by a man's vineyard. It was all grown over, and I learned from what I saw. He didn't say I had to get my hands in it and check it out. I learned from what I saw. That would be great if everybody could do that. But we're all flesh, right? And sometimes we do stupid stuff. So the prodigal's out there eating with the pigs at this point. So when he turns and comes home, the dad don't even come looking for him. But when he turns, turns and heads home, the dad leaps off the porch, runs out to meet him. Right? And what do you think a lot of modern dads would have said? Where's my stuff? Did you blow it all? I figured you'd blow it all. You knothead. Anybody know what a knothead is? And he just really probably, a lot of folks would react that way, right? Have the Archie Bunker look. But he grabs him, loves him, forgives him. But what we see that we don't see a lot of in our country 
is so much humility in the Son when He returns. He don't defend Himself. He said, Dad, just make me a servant. I've been bad. Man, if you saw that kind of humility in your daughter or son, that'd be sweet savor, wouldn't it? Somebody returning home like that. He said, just make me a servant. But the dad wasn't having any of that, right? He loved him, run out, run out to meet him, and he was so thankful for his son. Sometimes, I'll say a word to parents here, you cannot bail your children out of all their trouble. Don't be those people that are in the principal's office every week. Let Johnny and Susie, whoever Johnny and Susie is, let them work through some things. Let them learn how to handle conflict. What's the worst thing can happen? Come home with a bloody lip? They, let them learn how to resolve some conflict. Let them learn that. You, God lets us do that, don't He, on our journey. He lets us skin our knees sometimes. He lets us do some things like that. And so God, the prodigal comes home with a humbled heart. That was the game changer. The dad can get more stuff. The prodigal can work his way back up to where he needs to be. The game changer was what went on inside of him. And sometimes God has to take us in places. Now I know when you go to the Song of Solomon, the, 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 the bride, the wife, she loves the banquet hall. When you read through there, she, you know, she's all good. She's so comfortable in the banquet hall, she takes a nap, wakes up, her husband's gone. He's not really gone. But she, he realizes through Christ, she's getting comfortable. She's getting at ease in Zion, I think is how the Bible says it, well, one of the prophets. And he's out on the cliff of the rock saying, come out here. Oh, I don't want to go out. I like it in the banquet hall. The shrimp cocktails have jumbo shrimp as big as bluegills in them. I want him to stay here. But it's those places there where we learn his faithfulness and his care for us. It's where we learn to trust him and know that he's got us no matter what circumstance we're in. You're never out of God's care. That's what the devil wants you to believe. But the Lord's on our side, amen? And so he says, In the last days they are going to be deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Those are people who are headed for an apostate state. They're turning away. Apostate in the Greek means somebody who turns away, turns an ear from the truth, unwilling to listen, reject, repudiate. Don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear about the truth. This is these people. Their conscience is seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. You're going to carry on different if you live by faith than people who don't. You are. Look at what he's saying here. He says they're, they're forbidding people to marry. We live in a culture that's like that a lot anymore. Commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Sometimes if I eat something I've, that I've heard through the pipeline like shrimp's not good for you, well, I curse every bad thing in it before I eat it. <laughs> and I eat it. Now, I don't overindulge in shrimp, but I, I probably could at times. But 
all this stuff, he said, pray, he, Peter said, I'm not eating that stuff, Lord, I'm a Jew. Now, can you imagine him telling God that? I, I'm good. Look how good I am. And God said, you're missing the whole point here, brother. He said, whatever I've cleansed, you can't call unclean, right? And so now he gets into these things, and that's where we're at. We got self-preservation that's destroying us. And I love to feel good, so I exercise. And I don't eat bad most of the time. Sometimes I do, but most of the time I don't. But that's not where life's at. We're trying to preserve something we can't preserve. I, I try to take care of myself now because I'm getting older, and I'd rather get out of bed without feeling like I got run over with a truck every day. And I know God's got my days numbered. I'm not extending my days by not eating shrimp. But I am making myself feel better to not eat your shrimp, my shrimp, and everybody's at the table. Right? I mean, that's, but that's not where it's at. I, I was listening to just a couple of clips from this economic forum that's going on, I believe, in Switzerland. I'm in the, radio, I'm in the truck. I'm listening to some clips. And the guy had the audacity to say, we are going to secure our future in the world. We're going to get our communities together. We're going to put people in charge of the communities. Then we're going to collaborate, and we're going to make our own future. And I said to myself, your arrogance, and I wish he could have heard me, but he couldn't. I said, your arrogance offends me for my God. You forgot, buddy, that you're going to die. And I want to say that to the world. Don't forget, you're going to die and you're going to have to stand before God someday and give an account of yourselves all of us are not just I'm going to die too I'm not throwing that off on everybody unless the Lord returns before our time's up we're all going to die and it, the arrogance of men to just exclude God out of every forum out of every courthouse we kick him out of the schools what do we think's going to happen in the schools we'd give all that ground to Satan they wouldn't call it that though We'd give ground to Satan in the, in the job force, out in the government, out in the schools, out in our court systems. And politics, instead of honoring God, has done exactly what Saul done. Saul got corrupt because here's what the Bible said. This is why Saul got crossways with God. He lost his position. God said, I'm going to find somebody who cares more about me, my stuff, than their own stuff. And he raised up David. And he said, Paul, uh, Saul, the Bible says, he lost his position because he cared more about what the people thought than what God thought. There's preachers like that now. There's dads like that with their own children. And just about 99.9% .9 of the politicians are all that way. They care more about what people think than what God thinks. And that's why this nation's in trouble. It's not because our stock market's going backwards. It's not because we don't have enough money. It's not because we don't have enough guns. It's not because we don't have enough mental health counselors. It's because we keep refusing God to do things His way. And the longer we do that, the more stupid decisions we're going to make as a nation. And that's what we're doing. Can you... Can you can you believe this? It's horrific what happened in Texas. I, I about cried today thinking of what a little eight-year-old child's doing in a room watching everybody else get shot and killed and it's coming your way. That's horrific. If he didn't die yesterday, he should have been killed today. The guy that done that. That's evil is what that is. 
But how, what do you think if somebody didn't belong to this country, just showed up in a spaceship and stood by and said, now let me get this straight. You're good with killing all of them in the wombs, but you're mad about this. Anybody from any other planet would have said, this ain't right. You mean you're good with them dying here, but you're not good with them dying there? That, that's craziness. But we're just playing right into the devil's hands. But I got good news for you. There's going to be light in Goshen. You keep serving God. You keep standing for the truth. You keep doing God's word. And he'll take care of us. And we'll be able to lead people to Christ. Those who were willing to humble themselves and receive his way, his truth. That's the God that we serve. Amen. And then he says, then he says, um, but he says, if you instruct the brethren, uh, after he said whatever has been sanctified by the word and prayer, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus. He's talking to Timothy, Christ, of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily, and we read this last week, for bodily exercise profits a little, and the Greek says for a little while, but godliness is profitable for all things. So don't, don't choose focusing on your natural life more than your spiritual life. It's okay to take care of yourself. You'll feel better if you take care of yourself. You'll avoid a lot of hardships if you'll take care of yourself. But make sure godliness is your number one priority. And when we say that, we're not talking about religion. We're talking about studying His Word, applying it to your life, walking it out every day you get up, at least striving to do that. And when you fail, repent. Get up and keep moving. That's how, we, that's how we roll as Christians. Can I say it that way? That's how we roll as Christians. And exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits for a little or slash a little while, but godliness is profitable for all things. Here's what godliness leads to, having the promise of the life that is now and, is, and that which is to come. So Jesus said nobody's ever left anything or put anything aside in this life and not received a hundredfold more in this life and the life to come. So we live blessed lives. If we're totally, if we're devoted to Christ, He's going to take care of us. And when our time's up, it's up. And and we we got a better place waiting on us. I guarantee you, no one we've sent to heaven that would have come back here. None of them. You know, you may miss them. I may miss them. But none of them that's crossed over and made it to, and went into heaven, they wouldn't come back here. Are you kidding me? Why would they? Have you looked around? <laughs> And he says, this is a faithful, worthy save for, uh, he says, uh, that worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe these things command and teach. He's telling Timothy. And then he says something interesting here before I close. He says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith and in purity. Now Timothy's a young guy and he's probably getting challenged. The first church that I pastored, um, I told you all this before, the, uh, we grew from 26 to 12 like the first week. <laughs> Everybody wasn't happy for the new sheriff in town. And Somebody left, and they told me, they said, listen, I'm not staying here. And I was young. God raised me up early, and he told me why he did that. 
uh, that's another story. But she said, uh, I've done forgot more about the Bible than you know. And I, of course, I was young and probably hurt a little bit. But looking back, they don't understand authority. They didn't understand God's authority. And that's probably what, see, you don't get authority on your own. And that's why I say to you, if you've got more than one children, you can't cookie cut them. You've got to let God have his way. You keep them in between the gutters, right? Like a bowling alley. And then God gets to take them to whichever pen he wants to knock down. And you can't say, right? What did John's mom say? Go up there and get in with Jesus, right? You know, go. <laughs> uh, but, you, you, you know, you may have one on the world stage like James Dobson. Does anybody know James Dobson's brothers and sisters? Don't even know their name, do we? That doesn't mean they're less than him. But they all can't be James Dobson, right? I mean, God's got plans. Moses, whatever. He puts his hand on who he puts his hand on for different things. And we've all got a role to play, but some people play it behind the scenes. Some people play it out in front. Some people play it somewhere in the middle. That's God's call. It's not ours. You don't get to put your child where you want it. If you do, that'll be disastrous. I don't care how good your intentions are. You've got to let God lead them. You, you train them to lean on Him. We never taught our children that we were the final authority in their life. Not from day one. We always told them that they had to answer to God someday. That the Holy Spirit was more real to them than us. He'll be there when we're not. We always taught them that we had authority over us. We didn't say the buck stopped with us. We never taught our children that. We told them the buck stops with God. He's in charge. And he says, don't let no one despise your youth. Now, that, what he's trying to say to Timothy, our Timothy's probably facing some battles because he is younger, but God's got his hand on him. God called him. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. You know what? When Josiah went to the throne, when he was eight years old, he was king. And he's the first king that said, by the time he got 18, he said, go get the word of God. It's time to get back to that. At 18 years old, where's the 50-year-olds in? Because God put his hand on him, put a heart in him. And he said, most kings before Josiah, and probably most of them after him, they just cleaned up what they saw. They cleaned up Jerusalem and around the temple. But Josiah cleaned the city up, went out on all the high places, tore all the altars down, killed all the priests, had their bones pulverized. He cleaned up the whole joint when he was just much more than a teenager. So God's hand, so Timothy said, Timothy, don't think it's useless. This is what Paul's saying to him. Don't think it's useless to be strong and be the example of God when you're young. He said, because God's with you, he's got your back. But it, now, I'm going to close with this because we need to think about this as you deal with children and grandchildren. That's what the world's telling them. Go sow your wild oats, right? Go live it up. Don't worry about it. You can get sober later, sober-minded. You can live right later, right? The world says, just blow these years, right? That's what the world says, blow these years. That's not what God teaches. God says, you be an example right now. And don't think it's in vain because God can use you right now. And those people that blew those years, if you stay true to God, they'll be calling you. A lot of them will. They'll be calling you. Someday they'll say, man, my life's a mess. I want what you've got. <clears throat> Amen. Let's give the Lord some praise. He's worthy.
All right. Let's, uh, let me give you a couple of updates here. Uh, marriage retreat, we're going to close that out pretty soon. If you want to go to that, it's just in Barstown, so we try to make it real close. Actually, Barstown's a really good town to enjoy uh, if you've never spent any time up there. Uh, I said, if you, without God's direction, if you brought me to Kentucky, said, what town do you want to live in? I'd, just, I'd say Barstown. It's a neat town, kind of a throwback town. Uh, the downtown's still alive and all that. <clears throat> Church picnic is June the 12th. If you're not getting the newsletter, we're putting one out every month, so give us your address, fill out one of those cards, and we'll start getting the newsletter for you. The construction is going to start over here probably in the next two weeks. So we do not have any heat in this building. We took all the gas stuff out, so we got to get it done by October so we can get gas in here. If not, we're going to put a big fire pit in the middle of it. Just kidding. So... What we we need about fifty thousand dollars to get that thing in the dry. We've not borrowed any money out there. That new addition's gonna run us close to eighty thousand dollars. It's all paid for. We're gonna try to pay for all this and we're trying to wait to buy the next the property next door to us. God's been good to us. Amen. Been very good to us. But we need to get that thing in the dry in the next couple of months and then we can so we'll just build that section and leave everything alone and then one week we'll probably call off Wednesday service and knock that wall out and open it up to the new part you may have to walk on some concrete for a few weeks till we get everything knocked out we'll have to get some more chairs so the, the ceiling's going to go up as high as we can go in that section <clears throat> and we'll be able to actually come back about 10 feet into this building and start raising it and it'll open it up more and then we can turn the volume up a little more and have a big time with Jesus <laughs> So hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to seat about 450 people at that point. So that'll be good news, all right? God's been good to us. And I have noticed in this season that we've been in the last two and a half years, the people who have been faithful to God, and I'm not just talking about here, I'm talking about Christians I'm connected with around the world, they're getting blessed. They're not barely getting by. God is blessing those who've been faithful. Uh, our our guy that we get most of our equipment from is a super Christian guy. He's faithful. He's a tither. He's all that. He's owned this business for years. The last two years, most of his venues have been canceled. But he told me, he said, man, I can't believe it. He said, I've made more money in the last two years than I've ever made because God sent other business in, and he does big venues. He's, he goes to Nashville and all kinds of stuff. And he said most of that was called off. He said, but the Lord made it up in another way. Isn't our God good? He's faithful. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. You are free to go. <laughs> Amen. If you... Uh...